the unique and terrifying and beautiful thing about psychedelics is nobody can have the experience for you. It's one of those things where you just have to double down and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My life used to feel like I was stuck on autopilot, trapped in the same thought loops, worries, and fears. Then something major happened. Enter psychedelics. My name is Kat Walsh, and you're listening to Trip On This. Join me as we journey together into these mysterious realms, discussing everything from personal transformation, otherworldly experiences, and practical at-home tips. Welcome, fellow traveler, to the land of limitless possibilities. Welcome back, my friends. Today's episode of Trip On This is with a man who really needs no introduction. I'm with Dennis McKenna. Dennis is an ethnopharmacologist, researcher, and psychonaut who has been working with psychoactive plants and fungi for over 40 years. Plus, many of you may know him as the little brother to the psychedelic luminary, Terence McKenna. On this episode, we talk about the nature of reality. We talk about his journey with Terence. We talk about mysticism, and let's just say we get a little cosmic, because what can I say? I'm cosmically inclined and I happily pushed Dennis into that direction and he was a great sport about it and I'm so appreciative for this conversation. But before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, New Brew. As most of you know, if you've been listening to Trip on this, I gave up alcohol probably about two years ago now and I have been on the search for a non-alcoholic beverage that I can still kind of feel a vibe with that isn't cannabis, that isn't alcohol, but that I can still feel a little shift in my mood, particularly when I'm going out to social events. That is why I am stoked to talk about Nubru. Nubru is a mix of low-dose kava root with kratom leaf. So essentially, you're getting the euphoric, feel-good, positive mood shift combined with a little bit of energy, calm, and focus Plus, there's 30 milligrams of caffeine in it, so you kind of have a little bit of a caffeine buzz to go with it. I'm not going to lie, today was kind of a funk for me, and so as I was getting ready to record, I thought, you know what feels like a good time to have a new brew? Now. And so as I got ready, I began to drink my new brew, and I got to say, my mood is fire right now. So the effects are something that you can actually feel without actually feeling like I'm disoriented in any way or not in my right mind. Nubru contains 125 milligrams of kava and 25 milligrams of kratom, all of which are third-party lab tested to make sure that the potency, purity, and overall safety is there in every single can. There are currently two flavors available, the berry and the citrus. I personally like them both, although I love citrus everything. So this one I tend to lean to, but they're both delicious and have a really interesting balance between the root and then also something sweet. Speaking of sweet, it's also not too sweet. There's only 15 calories in each can and three grams of sugar, organic cane sugar, as well as other things like stevia and monk fruit. So for those that are keeping your sugar intake down like I am, that's a plus. If you're in Los Angeles, you can pick up New Brew locally, or if you're in the United States, you can head over to drinknewbrew.com and use the code TRIPONTHIS for 15% off. Last but not least, New Brew is for adults 18 and over, who are looking for a non-alcoholic drink they can feel. And with that, I pass it over to the man, Dennis McKenna. Well, in that case, Dennis McKenna, it is such a pleasure to meet you and have you on the show. 
uh, someone who is such a pioneer and a trailblazer in psychedelics. What an honor it is to have you here. I can't wait to talk to you about your story. Welcome. Well, thank you, Kate. It, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, your your cat, not Kate. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Call me whatever yeah, you want. I, you I know? appreciate <laughs> the invitation. And I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, you're certainly no stranger to me, but for those who, as a way to one, tease your second edition of your memoir coming out, and for those who are brand yeah. new to their psychedelic experience, I'd love if you could, in your own words, just give us a little background around who you are, because we're going to get into it, but I figure let's just start with a little background from you. Sure. Well, I, I uh, label myself an ethnopharmacologist. I've been studying mostly Amazonian psychedelics since I was a graduate student and, you know, remain in that. I'm now effectively retired. You know, I'm not affiliated with academia anymore, but I've got this uh, nonprofit, the McKenna Academy mm -hmm. of Natural Philosophy, which is kind of the horse I'm riding. And uh, we have, you know, as you can tell from the name, its mission is education, uh, mostly around psychedelics, but also ethnobotany in general and and increasingly we're shifting toward the uh you know focusing on the preservation of traditional knowledge and mm -hmm. trying to unite that with the scientific knowledge and and so i'm you know i've been a researcher interdisciplinary i, I don't think you can be in this field without being interdisciplinary mm -hmm. uh I'm Terrence McKenna's little brother. That's my probably my one of my main claims to fame. Uh -huh. I kind of carried on the torch, so mm -hmm. but in a in a different direction, you know, yeah. than than he did. So briefly, that's about oh, that's, that's what it is. That's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. You know, I, I think that's a good place to start because I know so much of your memoir is, of course, about your journey to the place you're at today. And and what the th the thing that's really like has stuck out to me, what I'm seeing so far in the memoir is that there feels as though there's two voices, right? There's the den young Dennis going through these uh, mind blowing experiences, and then you've got a more current day Dennis who is able to reflect and give context in this lens that you're in right now. And I think the place that I'd love to start is, you know, we hear about integration, right? Psychedelic integration. Y'all are in Colombia, you're in different places, and there's not a whole lot of people in front of you to understand like what's psychedelic integration since you were in many ways the ones trailblazing this. How are you able to make sense of some of these big mystical transpersonal experiences? And then what was your arc in how you kind of come to understand them now today? Well, <laughs> uh, I guess in some ways you, you know, so you, you, you gain your experience just you 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 come to terms with these things just through multiple experiences you yeah. know and i've had many experiences with uh, ayahuasca and mushrooms those are and other things as well dmt and you know the usual menu of things mm -hmm. but but ayahuasca and, and mushrooms have been kind of my chief teachers if you will mm -hmm. that i've mostly learned from 
And I think when you've been around as long as I have, not every experience you have is like a revelation. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you kind of know what to expect, and which is not to say that psychedelics can't surprise you. I mean, that's sort of the point. Yeah. But uh, it's it's not unfamiliar territory anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still, you know, it, is rich. It's it's rich experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, internally. So I guess, uh, not sure what to say about integration. So, I mean, so integration is important mm -hmm. for these experiences. I'll give you an example of what I'm seeing kind of in your book, right? So when, when you were first kind of going through the experiences, it looked like your mind was blown and there was a lot of, you know, your feelings of like, this is really happening for me. This is my mission. This is where I'm at. Um, but then there's a there's another voice in there, right? That is a little bit more like, was that really <laughs> what I was experiencing? It was uh, there was a there was another part of your mind now integrating maybe in a different way than you were in that time. And I'm just curious around like when did the switch of maybe I was experiencing that, or maybe it was this fabrication of my mind and I was on a hallucinogenic. Like at what point did um, I don't know, maybe the rational, your, the rational side, the scientist side of your mind start to come in there with young Dennis, be like, okay, let, let's talk about this a little bit about what we are experiencing. Well, I don't know if there was any one place, mm -hmm. any one time where there was an inflection point. Uh, you know, people that are familiar with the experiment at La Chirera, as we call mm -hmm. it, and all of that, uh, understand that that was a very dislocating experience, uh, but in some ways, paradoxically, also a centering experience. I mean, it's like, you know, it completely dismantled my model of reality yeah. and then reconstructed it fully because I'm here. I can, I can talk to you about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in the process of kind of working through that experience and integrating that experience, I became to a place where I could see the value mm -hmm. of being in this, what they call the default mode network. The default mode network is very useful. Mm -hmm. I call it the reality hallucination. Right. It's the <laughs> hallucination that our brains and minds create it's a model of reality. It's not reality itself. It's a useful model that we inhabit mm -hmm. that lets us navigate through the world, yeah. you know, and get things done and kind of share consensus realities with other people. Psychedelics are very valuable in that they can temporarily dissolve that. Yes. And being able to step out of that reference frame has mm -hmm. a lot to do with the therapeutic. I think efficacy of psychedelics for so many different things. It just provides this ability to look at things in arm's length. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I think it's important to, you know, if you have these psychedelic experiences, and then it's important to reflect on them from when you're back in the default mode network, sure. when you're back on your feet, exactly. Not to discount the experiences mm -hmm. and to say they weren't valuable, they are, but some of the insights that you may come away with may be, may be valid, may appear valid over time. Others is like, well, that was complete 
craziness, <laughs> you know, and it and you have to look back on it and uh, kind of sort those out and say, well, this this makes sense and mm-hmm. and this didn't, you know. So it's it's a process of learning, I think. Yeah, from these experiences. That integration is not something that happens right after a session. Yes. And then you go on something that happens over a lifetime. Yeah. It strikes me. It strikes me when you were in La Carrera, I was just particularly reading that chapter and and the experiment, and we won't go into it too much in detail, but the experiment that you were trying to come away with and, and kind of being gifted, if you will, the, what felt like the secrets of the universe in that moment in some ways, even though it might not have been an exploding mushroom, <laughs> you did bring that through, though, through your own being and, and you and Terrence and and what the 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 learnings and the legacy and the in the imprint that you've actually left on culture really it did put a dent in the universe, if you will. And so it it didn't exactly Indeed. show up the way that maybe the teacher had talked about, but uh, but right. it kind of happened it- in another way. Exactly. It showed up in a different way. I mean, yeah, we didn't get the exploding mushroom. We didn't (laughs) get the transcendental object at the end of time. You know, but what did happen as a result of not the experiment so much, but but as a result of going to Colombia and seeking this thing and finding out that it was really the mushroom. So then, you know, we brought the spores of the mushroom back with us and then we played around with those mm-hmm. until we could actually grow the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Then we published this little book, the Psilocybin Magic Mushroom Grower's Guide, which did have an impact. So that if people ask me what was the you know what was the main impact of what you did or what you guys have been into, it's really, I think that it's that we placed in the hands of a lot of people, simple instructions that any intelligent 11th grader could figure mm-hmm. out and grow mushrooms. Yeah, thank and, you so much. And so we <laughs> helped bring the mushrooms into, into society, you yeah. know, and, uh, and that has had an impact. For so, sure. You know, apart from all the wild theories that we had and so on, it like, you know, we didn't have to uh, overturn the structure of reality, but, you know, mm-hmm. just bringing the mushroom in, in and making it accessible to a lot of people, you know, and we started out, I mean, our motivation in that was basically, we were looking for validation of our own experiences. I mean, we were thinking these, what is happening to us is yeah. just crazy, you mm-hmm. know, do mm-hmm. other people get this? Yeah, or not so we had to get it out there and it turns out yes this yeah. is what this is what people are experiencing you yeah. know so it's that, that's a real dimension out yes there whether yeah. it's a dimension of the unconscious or some other place that's open to debate mm-hmm. i but think of the primordial that primordial energy that you spoke about. And I know for myself, I've, I've absolutely had experiences where I'm suddenly feeling like I'm like back as at like Eve, like the moment of like, you know, really far out there, but that, but I had never heard that from anywhere. I wasn't consciously ever thinking prior to even that experience, the idea of feeling the essence of like primordial energy, that original creational energy. 
that, that wasn't even part of my conscious thought. So to experience that, then to hear how many people have an experience like that, that's the thing that blows my mind about this stuff, which is just the how. How are we all having that experience? You know, how are we or like similar types of experiences and similar truths that ultimately come back is the thing that I think excites and delights right. me forever about these things. That That is an interesting thing, you mm -hmm. know, so there that validates the experience. And, and I think it also, you know, tells us something about, I mean, if you want to be reductionist about it, which I don't necessarily want to be, mm -hmm. but if you do want to be reductionist about it, you can say, well, you know, our brains are similar. Everybody's brains are similar, right? Doesn't matter gender, race, and any of that. And the the these psychedelics work on the brain in a similar way in most people, you know, and and so not too surprising that the experiences that they elicit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, are going to be quite similar. You yeah. know, the 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 real question is: is the information that you get out of the experience does it have validity beyond the experience? Mm -hmm. And certain things do, and certain things perhaps don't so much. And yeah. and some of the insights that you get from psychedelic experiences are, you know, they seem trivial when you articulate them, and and they're obvious, like you know. All you need is love. Yeah. Well, yeah, we understand this. Mm -hmm. We don't need a psychedelic to tell us this. But what do you do beyond that? Right. So, and other other insights are are some are like that, and some are. I think it depends. It really depends on what you do with the experience. Right. This is also what contributes to the outcome of therapeutic use of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, psychedelics for depression, PTSD, and so on. Uh, it doesn't work for everybody you yeah. know they don't integrate the experience it doesn't really solve their problem but for other people it works remarkably well yeah. one or two experiences can you know effectively resolve intractable depression and these sorts of things mm -hmm. so you know you're looking at a dynamic situation yeah. you know leary and metzner and albert back in the day talked about set and setting mm -hmm. you know very important determinants of yeah. the outcome of the experience but then i think you also have to consider what is the medicine and what is the dose so you've really totally. got four variables you know and the the most complex variable in all of that is the set mm -hmm. the set is you yes you know set is what you're bringing to the table yeah. not just your intention or what you hope the outcome to be it's really everything that you have been up to that point yeah. you know and that you will after that point so that's the set that's mm -hmm. the most complex uh of these four variables the setting of course is important you want it to be conducive to a good experience but beyond that it can be any kind of setting yeah. as long as it's you know appropriate yeah. and then you know what's the medicine and what's the dose because that's obviously going to affect yeah, the way the, the session goes absolutely you were saying also just you know it struck me when you were talking about the the small insights too about these experiences um beyond just the mindset and all this stuff right we can have have what seems like a trivial 
experience, but, you know, an example that is certainly not new to me is I had the experience of on ayahuasca of being like, oh, self-love is the answer. But we know you can go on Instagram and see a zillion quotes about how self-love is the way to go. But I think maybe the, what struck me as what was different was having the experience of it. Before that was a mental exercise, right? I mentally understand I need to like love myself, but we block, there's tons of stories and blocks that we have to obviously loving ourselves, all of what, whatever, however we think about ourselves. And I think that's where some of the value of some of what feels like a simple insight, except the insight isn't, at least from my experience, it does, it's not mental. It's through an experience beyond mind. And that sticks in a way that, um, yeah, that nothing before had stuck. You've put your finger on it. This, this is the difference, right? Is that the, I mean, you can have an insight like love is the answer or we are all one Mm -hmm. or, you know, these common insights and they do sound trivial to articulate, but they're not really trivial. I mean, they're actually profound. The difference is that in the psychedelic, you know, experience lets you really feel these insights and interiorize them, you know. So even though to say them, people might dismiss it, say everybody knows that. I don't have to take psychedelics for that. Mm-hmm. You need to take psychedelics to actually experience it and integrate it. That's what they, that's what they do, yeah. you know, and almost by definition psychedelics are uh you know difficult to uh articulate you know yeah. they, they say they're ineffable meaning mm-hmm. you can't really find words to adequately describe what they do so then you try and do that and it comes out sounding you know kind of trivial mm-hmm. but it does you know what i mean it doesn't bring sure. the the uh sort of the background that you feel it doesn't you lose that when you try and just say what it is right you can't really english it can can only be known through experience and i think that's that's the truth for a lot of things right is like until you have a direct experience it becomes knowledge at least for yourself it's your knowledge uh other thing everything else is belief somebody else told you something and then you just take that on for yourself and that's fine i think a lot of us do that to just understand the world right and science and whatnot we're like okay yeah great but there's um to i i like to say to everyone with psychedelics and people that listen to my podcast that are new to it it's great to prep and and to hear stories and and all the stuff but you'll never really know it until you do it (laughs) like it's it's it can't be known without you know and this is the this is the you know I mean, the unique and terrifying and beautiful thing about psychedelics is nobody can have the experience for you. It's one of those things where you just have to double down and do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There are a few things like that. Nobody can have your birth for you. Nobody can uh, have your death for you. No Mm. one can make love for you. You know, you have to participate in those things all of which are life impacting and life changing, you have to do it. You yeah. can't hire somebody to do these yeah. things. You yeah. hire people to observe you, watch you, whatever. But ultimately, you know, 
every psychedelic is, is unique to the individual because it is, every individual is unique. So it is this intense interaction between you, the set, you, the person experiencing it, and the medicine and the circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's that's ultimately, you can have all kinds of sitters and people watching you, but you're the one that's got to go through the experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. So for me, psychedelics have been, uh, you know, I, I guess nothing short of a reconnection to the divine, to my own divine self, uh, to nature. And I'm curious, you know, you're as a scientist, and these are going to be just a couple more like personal questions, if you don't mind. I'd just love to understand, like, where where are you at with the conversation with spirituality and metaphysics, uh, consciousness, the nature of reality? Is that something that you're comfortable with talking about for, from your own perspective and how you uh, view the world, how you uh, show up and, and live for yourself, like your, your own personal truths? Well, uh I am a scientist. Uh, yes, that's been my training, but I'm not a reductionist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am acutely aware of the limitations of science, you know, because I don't think you can take psychedelics off and then not come against that. Mm -hmm. In fact, if I had to name, you know, what's my big old, biggest single takeaway from from years of psychedelic experience, I would say it's it's acknowledging how little we really know, you know, about the universe, about ourselves, you know, uh, the 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 psychedelics always reminds me of this, you know, sometimes gently, sometimes forcibly, you know, but it's a reminder to acknowledge how little we know, right. you know, and so. That means there's no place. That's why, you know, it's it encourages humility because when you once when you finally admit, actually I don't know shit, mm -hmm. then there's no need for arrogance. What there is is a need for acknowledging that, but then also recognizing how much there is to be known, mm -hmm. you know, and how much, you know, how constricted consciousness is how much room for it there is for it to expand mm -hmm. and and learn and so on and and develop in in different ways so i think that's the uh that's you know that's kind of how i recognize the science of the personal experience i love it you know? it sounds but to me and i think i think i don't know is a really strong answer like maybe i have no clue and my second question on on kind of a personal note is is um as someone who has I have, have been reading like touched beyond uh, the veil, whether it's whether that was a, a, a real experience or not. Right. Or um, has had these experiences out of time. What do you feel? Do you think this is life ends here? Do you feel that? Um, do you keep open the possibility of of reincarnation of I don't know uh, of I don't know beyond this form? Where where are you? in that conversation well again i i come up against you know that the uh the collision between the reductionist you know stance which mm -hmm. is a good platform to operate on as mm -hmm. long as you don't kid yourself that 
it's adequate, you know. I mean, science works from hypotheses, right? Science tries to understand a phenomenon. You construct a supposition, effectively, a hypothesis about how you think something's work, something works, some physical process or something in, in nature that you're trying to understand. Mm -hmm. Having constructed that hypothesis, you try like hell to demolish it. You know, if you're practicing science as mm -hmm. it should be practiced, yep. the whole idea is you test your hypothesis. Does it fit the facts as far as you know them, that the data that you have? If you say, as far as we know, you know, this seems to fit the data that we have at hand, that doesn't prove the hypothesis. You never prove a hypothesis. You can only disprove it. Right. You know, because new data may come in next week or 500 years from now or, you know, that totally blows up your theory, blows mm -hmm. up your hypothesis. You have to be open to that. Mm -hmm. So that is the, you know, attitude with which with which you have to uh, you have to approach your understanding. So that said, you know, that the reductionist sort of approach to the question, is there life after death? Is there reincarnation? Is there all these things would be probably not, you know, but then you have to put over against that the insights from many traditions and religions and paranormal experience and, and all of these things, which we know do happen. So mm -hmm. you know what, what it comes down to, we don't no solid <laughs> it's a solid place to be. i don't know maybe but maybe not <laughs> yeah i i would submit that nobody knows i would submit that's that's yeah. probably right although it's been great i've i've heard some some wild reincarnation stories that are just they they definitely push push me in the uh in the in the realm of like how is that even possible how is that I, are you familiar with the book mm -hmm. They uh, make you wonder. They really I, do. I know they do. They make you wonder. They for really sure. do. Especially, have you heard? Have, have you heard of um, "Many Lives, Many Masters"? It's a, an original book by Brian Weiss. His original. No, I haven't heard of it. So it just it it chronicles this really quick. It chronicles this one woman who he was regressing her in past life, uh, regressing her back into her you know her childhood. And he's just basically like go back as far as he could, and she basically the whole book is about this her going back describing in grave detail um impossible details impossible details also hearing uh people come back speaking languages that they've never heard before i'm like i, I just how mm -hmm. how how is that possible anyway can you tell i'm like clearly on the i'm into the, the cosmic uh <laughs> i have co cosmic tendencies dennis um i have one more question on this front Things do exist, and, and they're mm -hmm. part of the the data space. And, yeah. And how do we how do we explain that? You exactly. know, exactly. I don't. I mean, again, I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows. You can hypothesize that you know it has something to do with the collective unconscious, and maybe in some deep deep part of the unconscious we're. I mean, I'm basically a Jungian. I, I believe in that. I, I think that's a good model. And maybe in some deep part of our unconscious, 
we are all connected to everyone else and all these other traditions and this sort of overmind so that when you regress, uh, you know, when you regress into these states, all these things come up, yeah. you know. But then you have to think about, you know, um, back in the day, a, a few, like a couple of decades ago, there was a guy, a UFO researcher at, mm -hmm. at Harvard named John Mack. And he was regressing people using hypnosis who people who had claimed to have, uh, you know, UFO contacts, right? Mm -hmm. But he also worked and they would, he would regress them. They tell their stories about these amazing contacts. But then he worked with a, people, a group of people who claimed never to have any contact like that. And then he put them in hypnotic regression and he said, tell me about your ufo experience and it would just pour out mm. you know? i mean it was just come completely so either they had such an experience and they completely excised it from their memory or they just made it up yeah you know and yeah that's why it's so difficult to get a handle on these things and and i think uh, hypnosis is a a good tool mm -hmm. But it's it's a tricky tool to yeah. work with. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, everyone? It's your host, Kat, with a quick announcement. If you have been listening to Trip on this and have been wishing that you could tell your story on this show, wish no further. I'm going to be adding four new bonus style episodes to Trip on this, featuring your stories. If you're interested in coming on, head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Once it posts take a screenshot and email it to me with how psychedelics have changed your life. What I love about this is not only does it help me with discoverability and helping others find the show, but it also gives me a chance to connect with you all directly. So if you're interested, I will put more information in the writing of this episode. And with that, back to the show. It's a, it, the, the, all that kind of area. And actually this is, this is uh, the last question kind of in this, in this area. And I'm, I'm curious if you actually would know if they're doing any studies like this. So you bring up telepathy, right, in your book. Um, mm -hmm. what, what felt like telepathic experiences, right, with your brother. I know for myself, I've had a couple inexplicable to this day in my rational mind experiences where I'm like, how, right? Um, and, mm -hmm. and telepathy in general is, is pretty common, right, on, on psychedelic experiences. Do you know if they are creating studies with let's say a group of seasoned psychonauts or trippers on high doses together, you know, brain, brain wave, <laughs> I don't know the proper term, but you know, where they're measuring their brain waves, uh, where they're actually trying to do studies around like, is, can telepathy actually be modeled in a scientific place? Can, are they syncing up brainwave wise during a certain moment where we're seeing something unusual happen while they're in this place? Are they doing group studies like that for this type of stuff? I, I don't know. I, it, you know, just even without psychedelics in the equation, it's very hard to design studies to investigate things, these kinds of paranormal things. This mm -hmm. has always been the trick, you mm -hmm. know, and they go about it with statistics and, you know, can they read the card that somebody is thinking of or, you know, uh, and, 
at the end of the day, like they're tantalizing results, but nothing, nothing definitive, you know, and and so. Uh, yeah, it's just difficult. To, it rem- remains know. one of the mysteries. I only want to know that the the difficult questions to l- the nature of reality. So obviously, I'm so <laughs> sorry to put you on oh, the spot, but- Dennis. Like you don't know the fabric of reality. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm just I, kidding. I, I forgot. I wanted to mention there is a researcher at uh, I think he's at King's College, uh, David Luke. Yes, I, I'm going to have him on actually. I'm having him on yeah, the show. He's investigating. If anybody's investigating the paranormal and psychedelics, it's David. He's mm-hmm. working with uh, extraordinary human experiences. That's his shtick. That's what the subject of his work is. So uh, he would be the one to ask. I'm going to uh, get him on the show. We've already so talked, actually. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked. Yeah. I'm going to get him. I, I hadn't asked him that question. I haven't had him on yet. Um, but yeah, he's... He, a lot about entity experiences and and how and his own and and just um it's cool i I love to hear uh when the scientists can wear both the hats right where it can can experience and hold one side of the experience and then and then also uh be the one to still go through their own scientific rigor around it is a is, is a really interesting uh it's just an interesting subset of people that can do that right well, it's important, you know, because mm-hmm. in some uh, respect, if you look at the context of use of uh, psychedelics in traditional societies, you know, in shamanism, um, a lot of what is invoked is that they give you, uh, you know, paranormal powers in a certain way, not kind of the way we might think of it, but in the, in terms of being able to you know, remote viewing of distant places mm-hmm. or, you know, looking into the variables for the community, where the crops are going to be, where the hunt, where the game will be next spring and that sort of thing. And a lot of that is tied, obviously, with cyclic cyclic phenomena. But the the shaman is kind of the person that is the bridge between the community mm-hmm. and this postulated supernatural realm of spirits and uh and, and intelligent entities i've been reading this fascinating book which you may be familiar with called the falling sky no uh, i'm gonna write it down it's a, it's a narrative of a of a yanomamo shaman and uh it's uh you know it's just a description about his life and and for him he he is a shaman many many people in that society are shamans they use the varola snuffs you know which mm-hmm. they call the yakuana is the but uh for them these dmt entities which we go on and on about so much that's an everyday reality for them mm-hmm. the dmt entities that they connect through to through this snuff pretty much you know organizes their cosmology and their understanding of reality and uh-huh. you know who's to say it's not valid it's yeah. a valid worldview for mm-hmm. those people totally totally wow that is so i'm definitely gonna i'm gonna read that falling sky definitely worth looking at that book perfect I'll make sure to to link that for everyone as well who's interested. So let's bring it up to some some current day uh, 
just the current day psychedelic climate, I'd love to hear, I guess, on first, what's exciting you about what you're seeing right now? Obviously, there's a big push uh, to see where psychedelics have gone. You're getting to see two different big pushes, right, in your life. Uh, and and then also, where are you a little concerned, maybe, around what you're seeing? So what excites you? And then what are you, what are you a little hesitant with, what you, with what you're seeing? Well, of course, I'm excited by the recognition finally after years you know Mm -hmm. uh depending on when you start counting but these these medicines have always been vilified and demonized and marginalized and that's all changed you know now they're getting accepted their therapeutic uses are being recognized mainstream medicine like it or not is going to have to accept these because people are because you know the the mental health system is in crisis the existing treatments are largely ineffective and people are looking for something outside that that can address these issues and as a society you know we are so wounded you know in so many ways trauma and depression and you know PTSD and addiction and all of these things are right in our society because our society i think is basically a toxic environment and mm-hmm. everybody is vulnerable to these so if these medicines can help people come to terms with that and can be used safely uh and effectively then why not you yeah. know uh I, I am a but then i'm concerned about the you know that the corporatization of it which mm-hmm. i think is probably inevitable uh and the the uh you know in, in separation from the indigenous contact context that that creates yeah. you know as well as you know uh, indigenous people have been the stewards of this knowledge and these plants for so long and they're now as they always have been in a certain way kind of shoved aside like, thank you very much. Now we'll take this. Yeah. We'll develop billion dollar drugs out of it. And, uh, you know, maybe and maybe not, we'll give something back to the indigenous people. I don't think that's right. Yeah. I think that indigenous, uh, you know, they are the keepers of the the knowledge as well as the plants and fungi themselves. Mm-hmm. They should have a big uh stake in all this you know Mm -hmm. they should have a big representation and you know it it's difficult you know i mean now we're in an environment where we're looking at billions of dollars in investment money and you know when there is that kind of money around something everybody gets a little crazy so uh some companies are doing their best to be ethical and others are Mm -hmm. not so It's an uneven thing. It really but is. Overall, it's amazing that these things that were, you know, completely disregarded and, and prohibited, you know, a few years ago, now are suddenly the great hope for mental health care. So. Yeah, what, a, what an incredibly validating experience for you. And I'm sure you can connect to your brother and be like, look, look what we helped do in such a profound way. Like, do you ever just sit back and like trip out about that? Like just uh, thinking about really the impact that you've, you've made on culture? Or are you just busy living, living your life? 
Or do you, or do you have those moments being like, dang, like we were just tripping in the forest somewhere, but like, look what we, <laughs> look what we've done. Like, this is amazing. Well, yeah, I do. I mean, of course, of course I do. And, and it's not like when we were tripping in the forest, we <laughs> had any idea what we were doing. I don't right. think any of us ever thought that we'd see this happen, you know, uh, that suddenly psilocybin would be on everybody's tongue and, uh, you know, they'd be talking about it and the different, the different ways that it's gone. But I'm, you know, I'm happy to see it as opposed to the opposite, you know, yeah. maybe it's a sign that, uh, as a culture will, we're beginning to wake up. Yeah. You know, and these things are catalysts for waking up. It you know, really is. Well, well, that's the thing coming back to what you were talking about with, with, you know, what's happening with pharmaceuticals and then the indigenous. Well, I think one of the big divides, again, like coming back to our original talk, even around spirituality, right? Well, that, that inherently is one of the biggest divides, right? When you go through these indigenous cultures, that is through spirit, right? That is through that understanding. Uh, and it's brought through, uh, that you are in other realms and the shamans are dealing with uh, entities and energies and, and able to do that where you now have that sitting right upside the scientific, you know, I guess psilocybin now mental health. We're going to package it. We're going to, we do, we do not put it in a spiritual container. Now we just, we're going to give it to you like a psychiatrist gives to you. And I think I'm, there's a sense of, one, I can see the already the how these two are gonna how, how they're going to jockey for like not I want to say position because the, the the shamans one that's always hopefully going to be there as an avenue. But do we even think that? All right, how am I want to say this? I'm I'm curious to see if psilocybin without the framework of mm, some of that ancient tradition is as effective even. Uh, then as like, here's a pill and there's no larger uh, container or context for the experience. You know, I, I don't know if well, I articulated that well, right well, but. Well, you do, you do need set and setting, you know, mm -hmm. you need an appropriate setting for the experience to unfold, whether that's, you know, a hut in the Amazon with a shaman, mm -hmm. you know, uh, managing the experience or a clinical a clinical setting and usually that's these days it's not a hospital room yeah. it's a comfortable living room like space with therapists i think that uh the important thing is that there is a context not and you know i often say to people ayahuasca for example is a liquid it will fill whatever vessel you put it in mm. You know, whether that is a traditional vessel or whether it's a, you know, neo-shamanic ritual in Marin County or a basement in Brooklyn, as long as the practitioner is competent and as long as the intention is good and some care is taken to make the, the setting appropriate, you mm -hmm. know, free of distractions, free, you know, and a place where people feel safe to explore this these things i mean basically the people have to feel safe the whole idea of the set setting yeah. is you're there to let go you're there to surrender to the experience mm -hmm. you know so 
if you're worried about, if you feel like you're in danger, you know, if you're worried about the practitioner or other people around you, that's not going to work. It's got to be a place where you feel absolutely confident and safe to let, let go. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that all traditional contexts are that way either, but, but that's the main thing. I think that, uh, you know, what I, would like to see what I think this thing may be evolving for toward is to effectively borrow from indigenous practices and psychotherapeutic practices. I don't think that you can just, uh, just, uh, you know, co-opt psycho uh, traditional practices. You can't imitate them. We're not indigenous people, but we can take elements of that Mm -hmm combine them with elements from psychotherapy we can come up with a new paradigm that yeah. works for yeah. for us you know westernized global mm-hmm. you know scientifically educated etc people i think it is very important what's happening this reintroduction of psychedelics into medicine you know because it's a reintroduction of spirit into medicine which uh medicine has been had pains to exorcise spirit (laughs) out of medicine Mm -hmm. for the last 150 years. And what we're now coming to realize is you can't do that. And actually spirit is an essential component of healing, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why these things work because they're medicines for the body and the soul, you know, and uh, well, if they're medicines for the soul, and there must be souls, right? right. It's, it's right. not a fiction. It's a real thing. This is why I think that, uh, uh, you know, there's a certain contingent of, of researchers who are trying to design the trip out of the psychedelic. They're trying to develop molecules in which the trip has been engineered out of it. And then you take it and it has all the effects all the good beneficial effects that psychedelics have, but you don't have to waste your time with that, you know, dangerous psychedelic experience. I think this is so wrong. I think it's such a profound misunderstanding of what psychedelics are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's doomed to failure. I think, you know, they'll spend a lot of money on it. These are not going to be effective medicines well once again it just it just goes back to like oh it's a pure body thing and we're just going to tweak some things in the body and then that's it when you're when you take away the those you know like they're like they're seeing like people that are having mystical experiences are healing more so to take that away it uh, just feels like fundamentally or even the aha even if it's not a spiritual experience but it is a, a a shift in perception or a shift in the way that you maybe have seen something your whole life and now you're seeing it again for the first time through a new yeah. lens i mean that's it's all the ability to step out of this mm-hmm. default network to step out of this reference frame if they don't let you do that then i can't imagine that they're going to have the the therapeutic effect that is expected i mean there may be things that happening on the neurological level mm-hmm. changes in connectivity and so on perhaps but i well i mean you know i'm i'm, I'm open i mean maybe somebody will come up with a analog of psilocybin that's not psychoactive that has 
all of the therapeutic benefits that psilocybin is. Yeah. So I'm not holding my breath, however. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just, as someone who uh, loves the experience, sometimes, obviously, there's times where I'm like, <laughs> this isn't that fun. Uh, but other times, I just thoroughly enjoy the experience. So I think there's just that piece of it for myself where it's just kind of like, oh, but that's that's the, the joy of the experience as well is is that shift is is stepping outside of our normal uh, waking consciousness and seeing also like you know I know you and you and your brother talked about this but like language uh, how how funny and and connected you know when I'm with my friends and and we're on a trip and and just the flows and the jokes and the and the mm -hmm. human connection like all of that is just such uh, it's what makes being alive so much more fun and, and joyful and memorable. And I think also it's just something to remember as people out here uh, that it's not just about not feeling depressed or not feeling anxious, but like, well, how do you want to feel? You want to feel joyful? You want to laugh? You want to giggle? Like, and I'm not just saying it's from psychedelics, but I think just like the flipping of uh, what are we, what, what, what experiences and emotions are we seeking? And how are we giving that to ourselves, as opposed to just, I don't want to feel bad anymore. <laughs> so it's, it's also just looking at the flip side of it and being like, yeah, and, 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 and these molecules can help aid in that, in this right setting and container and all the things. Cause obviously people go to festivals, think they're going to have a good time and then they don't. Most do, but some don't, you know? And so there's, there's just that, it's the education I think around these things ultimately. And, a lot of there's just trial and error, I think, and I think that's the also the thing that at least I've noticed for myself, and I'm sure you've experienced yourself is just uh, you try different dosages, you might try in different contexts, and is sometimes it's a win, and then other times it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be on a really long six hours right now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, and and. You know, I mean, I mean, shamanism, if, if uh, you know, in some ways you're practicing do-it-yourself shamanism, you mm -hmm. know, shamanism is inherently an experimental practice. You know, the shamans in these traditional contexts are curious about the medicines and they muck around with plants and they come up with these things. And, you know, so they're a kind of scientists to themselves, you know, mm -hmm. they they come up with things and 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 try it and a lot of times you know back in the uh in the many you know decades ago uh not so much anymore because there's now a whole industry around for example ayahuasca and ayahuasca tourism but back in the day before there was any of that the shaman took the medicine not the people that came for treatment mm -hmm. they he or she took the medicine and got insights into how to cure people, what plants to use, what procedures to follow. You know, occasionally they would give their patients ayahuasca, but usually that was reserved for the shaman. Well, you know, Western uh, tourists looking for a transcendent experience, they're not going to go for that. They, <laughs> yeah. you know, so the, the model has changed, yeah. you know, the customer base has changed and, and the practices, uh, you know, have adapted. So now people get 
the ayahuasca yeah, in, the in the context of these retreats, and that's fine. Yeah, you know, I think. I'm I'm curious think, as someone I who's been fine that you know these oh. traditions are not frozen in time. Right. They're dynamic, like everything else yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's great. I'm I'm seeing that, and I I know that ayahuasca tourism is is a big part of their their economies now, and so it's. That's cool. It's I think anything that isn't too fixed is a good thing. Like as that mm-hmm. everything a little bit malleable and and able to shift um, is is good. And especially because coming back to what we were talking about with direct experience and, and the value of that. Uh, my my uh, other quick question before we get a little bit more into your your memoir is just as someone who has been studying these. Uh, hallucinogen hallucinogenic plants um and has been doing this for over 40 years are you still finding things that surprise you with respect to what to the plants discoveries uh attributes about them you know the way that they behave on the brain anything that you're just or is it or is it do you feel like you have a good sense of all you know the plants out there that do that true well i think to the extent that anybody does you know i yeah. have a good sense i'm not really doing research anymore right uh right. not that kind of research mm-hmm. i am uh you know you may be familiar with the conferences that we hosted that we uh created mm-hmm. espd 55 i should you should link that and then ESPD 50 before it in 2017. So that's the ethnopharmacologic search for psychoactive drugs. And uh, in terms of surprises, I think that, uh, you know, as a person who interfaces with that from that perspective, the question is, are there new and undiscovered psychedelics out there? Maybe they don't even have traditional uses, or maybe they do, but they're more obscure. And I think there are a lot out there. Well, maybe not a lot, but there are a few that are undiscovered. And if we looked harder, we'd find even more. So just in terms of uh, that, you know, we, we shouldn't assume that we have completely explored this space in, in, in the plant and fungal kingdoms. I mean, we have... For example, one person was presenting at the ESPD 55 conference on uh, psychedelic compounds from marine sponges mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So these things may come up, may show up in unexpected places, oh, you know. Right. Yep. And why bother, you know, why looking for no- novel psychoactive drugs? Don't we have enough? Don't we? <laughs> right, right. Actually, no. Right, right. Yeah, that's funny. That's very uh, funny. Because well, you never know when a new a new molecule is gonna. I mean, it may point your. It may point toward a a new direction, a new target, a new mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like salvia salvinorna from salvia divinorum yeah. is a good example. You know, it's not a psychedelic in the strict definition. It's mm-hmm. profoundly mind altering. Right. But it is a kappa opiate agonist Mm -hmm. you know and and so so and it's actually the most selective kappa opiate agonist ever discovered so in terms of looking at uh for example medicinal chemistry or what might be the therapeutic applications of something like that Mm -hmm. uh it's opened up you know a different a different uh window onto it interesting really separate from the classical psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, 
very cool. So why don't why don't we end like, with a why don't we end with talking about your second edition of your memoir, and I uh, I understand that this is now published ten years later, right? I've been in the midst of reading it, and would love to understand from you what is now in the second edition that you felt really needed to be in. What are, can you point to some of the areas and why for you? Uh, that that you felt a new past really needed to be known? Well, I just thought, you know, this is effectively the 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the book itself, the original book kind of came to, you know, the conclusion of it was around 2000, you know, in the narrative. And then the book itself was published in 2012. Well, a lot's happened in the last two decades, yeah. you know, since the book since Terrence passed on, I mean, the book effectively ends at that point, mm-hmm. pretty much. And then 22 years later, here we are. And uh, uh, he is gone. And he's not physically incarnate, but he's certainly present on the web. I mean, he's, you know, become this sort of internet ghost and his <laughs> ideas are very timely and so on. I just... Uh, wanted to uh you know reflect on the last couple of decades a lot has happened look yeah. at what's happened with psychedelics i know in the last couple of decades so i wanted to write about that there's all kinds of other technological innovations that are happening uh and of course you know just the world that we live in is a world of crisis you know climate change now we have you know wars and probably the revision of the cold war and and putin's uh, shenanigans has really destabilized Mm -hmm. everything so we have you know as a species on the planet we face a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. you know there are also astonishing things happening you know incredible discoveries being made all the time so i just wanted to write uh, a new chapter for the book that was kind of a look back at the last 22 years mm-hmm. and, uh, and just uh, reflect on that. Well, I think that's, I think that's great, especially for us, like a full body of work because it covers now such a, a such a, like a, a sizable span of time where you're yep. able to really see the movements of psychedelics through your story. Like truly it, it, it bringing you, right up to this like current day. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in that, especially for people that are really interested in psychedelics and wanting to learn the history. And and also the thing that really struck me uh, from what I've been reading is just, I could feel and hear so much of my own experience through your experiences and, and your retelling. And I love that you go into the actual like the details of the trips and like these really from your perspective and and what the insights are and pulling actually back from your own notes from that time and i i found myself smiling a lot because i i've i I was hearing and seeing myself in it actually and just being like i've had that experience or i know that feeling or i know this and and uh to to connect to those moments and connect to people like yourself that have that have been on these journeys and to feel that in myself just I don't know it was just such a like a special experience to read it and so I hope that people uh, have a chance through this new second edition and a reintroduction for a whole group of people that were probably not on the psychedelic 
uh, were not right. aware of psychedelics when you first put out your memoir. This is way before most of the world were talking about psychedelics. So now I'm, I hope that so many more people find the memoir and the book and, and can get real value from the look back. When does it come out for, for those listening? Uh, I think it's uh, it, it is out effectively. People can uh, people can order it from Synergetic Press. Okay. We have an official book launch in New York uh, on the 18th. That uh, in connection with another, uh, we we're doing a fundraiser out there for the academy, and there's a, uh, a person that are helping us organizing that have started this. I'll write it. Uh, and that's, by the way, for those listening, that's February 18th, 2023. Yeah. This, so it'll be uh, out. Oh, okay. uh, Perfect. Uh, she started a, effectively, it's a community center for the psychedelic community. It's mm -hmm. got a store and performance spaces and all that. So we're going, I'll, I'll mail you links to it after Perfect. we get off this. But, awesome. So you can let people know. But uh you know, to your to your observation, I think that a lot of people related to my book because my experience growing up in the 60s, all of that, mm -hmm. first exposure to LSD at age 16, cannabis around the same time. And, you know, it's been this, I mean, really my whole adult life from adolescence right up till now has been in some ways about psychedelics it's immersed in psychedelics influenced psychedelics mm -hmm. i sometimes tell people you know the most interesting things that ever happened to me that i owe to ayahuasca for example mm -hmm. yeah you know, just not only the experiences but the places they take in me and the people and all that so i think my experience is not that different than many others that grew up in the 60s you know it resonates with people you know, I'm just every man. There's nothing so special about me. And people have had that journey and they can relate to it. You know, I guess uh, what makes me different is I was foolish enough to write about it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet but, look at know, the adventure they have taken you on. <laughs> Psychedelics yeah. have taken you on the ride of your lifetime, you know, with all that you've done. So it's cool. I, I love to hear it. And I would say like, no, but you're an, you're an excellent, the, the two, you and Terrence, obviously were just so perfectly s situated <laughs> your, your ability with language and, and communication and all of that. Like it's not, everyone can certainly, um, communicate and observe the way that you two did, you know, like I, I just thought to myself, as I was reading your book, I was like, he is just so smart. <laughs> The, the amount of intelligence that Dennis has, like, wow, like, I just, what does this mean? I have to reread that, but um, it was just so impressed by it. But then you were able to then bring it back to people like me and, and talk to me in a way where I'm like, oh yeah, got it, got it. So you were well aware of, let me talk about how I was thinking about it. And then let me bring it back to you, Kat, so you can understand what I just said here, <laughs> which, well, which that, having- kind of you to say, yeah. you know, but like I said, I, as I told you before, the 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 uh you know one of the big lessons that I've got from psychedelics is yeah you're not so smart you just yeah. think you're so smart. yeah totally <laughs> you know so it's it's good you know I mean I think that's one of the one of the things they do for us is they remind us of how little we know right you know and uh, 
and by the same token remind us of how much there is to know and yeah. if you if you like if you're curious like me that's kind of tempting you know uh not so much with any particular goal, but just to try to understand, you know, this crazy world and, and where we fit into it and, totally. and what it what it really is. Okay. You know, nobody actually knows, but that's okay. That doesn't mean, I mean, that doesn't mean we can't try, you know, not with the, we have to be sort of cool with the idea that we're never going to get the full picture but yeah. we can make it as full as we can and, yeah. you know so that's kind of how I approach it yeah that's beautiful well Dennis thank you so much for coming on this was so much fun thanks for humoring me and all my galactic uh galactic vibes that I bring to trip on this and also just bring it back into a wonderfully grounded place as you take us through where you want to see psychedelics and uh just thank you Thank you so much for coming on for the work you've done. And I'm excited to see how the memoir does. Everyone definitely go check it out. I'll make sure that I'll put all the links because I think this will come out a little bit. I'll, I'll put it close to when it comes out. Uh, so there'll be links to. Uh, and always link memoir. to it on Synergetic Press. That'd Perfect. be the place to to link for it. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for this, Kat. I'll awesome. send you some uh, background information, a couple links you can share with people. and. Let us know when the podcast is going to be out there so I can get my social media people to make sure we have your links on all the appropriate places. So Amazing. Thank, thank God you. I don't have to do that. Now. <laughs> yeah, totally. To totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll connect to Jasmine on that. But um, cool. Thank you so much again, Dennis. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And have for, a great day. Thank you. And yeah. for everyone, as always, trip on this thank you all so much for listening if you're enjoying trip on this definitely be sure to hit that subscribe button like and share it with a friend also if you're interested in more content from me i have a second podcast called life with cat walsh this is a personal journal style podcast where i talk really about the raw vulnerable nature of being alive of being on an entrepreneurial path of being on a spiritual awakening path and so I share in all that I'm learning, my pitfalls, and anything that's coming up in the hope that it helps you along your own journey. So if you're interested, definitely head over and check that out. Life with Cat Walsh is also available on YouTube and all podcast platforms. I'll see you guys next time.